0: This is a big weekend in America for several reasons. Usually at Thanksgiving weekend, people get together with with good friends and with family and people that you love and the people that you kind of love and people that you happen to be related to and you have to be with them anyway. And you get together and you do things. You know, you go see whatever the holiday movie is together. You you eat turkey. You go. I don't know if there's snow. There's go. You go sledding. You watch college football rivalry weekend. You kind of do all that stuff and then you gather the family up and you go try to knock down the door to Walmart and get a cheap television. And it's a beautiful thing. I I thought about the, uh, you know, sort of the Norman Rockwell famous paintings, you know, that that he used to do for the Saturday Evening Post back, you know, 60 years ago or whatever. Those like iconic sort of Americana sort of images of the holidays everyone gathered around the Turkey and all that. And I was like, it's unfortunate no one is doing those paintings today because we could have an awesome iconic Americana painting of people fighting over a television in Walmart. It would be beautiful, wouldn't it? Or, or like, w- wouldn't that be like an incredible sort of image that we should have, you know, the, the, like a modern sort of Rockwell, or like the family gathered around the Turkey and everybody's looking at their phone, you know, like, wouldn't that be beautiful? You know, somebody needs to, that niche needs to be filled. Somebody needs to do that. Um, this is a big weekend in America for two reasons. Number one, uh, the, the money that is is sort of shelled out this weekend, Black Friday weekend is pretty massive, and the, the amount of money spent on Black Friday weekend is really something to behold. Uh, I actually found the stats on it. I want to put them up on the screen. This is what the spending has been on Black Friday since nineteen or since i 'm sorry since two thousand and five. The number on the left is the uh, how much per shopper was spent, so the average shopper. Um, estimated this year, this is before this weekend, the average shopper spent $967 this weekend on Black Friday where for a total of $682 billion. You can see it goes up every year except 2008, which I think was involved with, I don't know, the housing bubble or something like that it happened in 2008. So uh, that was the only year we spent less that year than we had spent the year before. But every year it just keeps going up. We spent an incredible amount of money as a culture this weekend, which is a, a, a big consumer fest. We're going to talk more about that kind of consumption next weekend. But what I want to talk about today is the other thing that happens this weekend, which is food. Lots and lots of food. This is like, if you love food, this is your weekend. You, you cook. Um, I haven't cooked... S- uh, I haven't cooked since Thursday. We cook Thursday, and then I'm like, it's in the fridge. Whatever you want, that's all we're going to eat all weekend. We just you put everything in plastic, and then you just have leftovers, and it's like really good. And so uh, that's been that's been a great thing. And and if you love food, this is this is your jam. And and uh, and there's and it, it's a, it's really a great weekend for for feasting, right? And so I want to I want to talk about that. Uh, I want to talk about the food portion of that today. Uh, this series that we've been in is called Ancient Answers to Modern Problems. And uh, we've talked about, just two weeks ago, we talked about technology as a modern problem. Before that, we talked about sex as some modern problems around that as well. And, and, and when you look at some of those topics, you go, okay, there are, there are modern problems around technolo- not technology with phone addiction or, or screen addiction or that kind of thing, for sure. And we looked at some ancient answers to those things. But what I want to talk about today is about food, which is a modern problem, but it's a super old problem. Like, like, that's obviously been around forever. For as long as there's been humanity, there has been food, and there have been issues around food. Now, there's things we could talk about in food today. We could talk about the effect of sugar on the body, or we could talk about fats, or we could talk about, uh, you know, uh, health choices and what is the ethical food choices and all that kind of stuff. We will talk about that stuff next year. I'm going to do a series where we, we, I'm going to say, Lord, teach us to eat, and we're going to talk about those kind of issues more next year. But today, I want to talk about a modern problem around food, and, and that is the idea that some people have a lot of food, and some people don't. And there's a, a real thing in our culture called food scarcity, where people don't uh, have an, enough food. And it's actually a, a problem even in this, this country. And it's a weird thing. It's, it's a problem globally. Like, we can go, man, God, why don't you... Help the world. There's these people in the world that don't have enough food. Why don't you help them? And, and I, and I got to wonder if, if, if God's sort of looking down at the thing, at, at all of us and going, what do you mean why don't I help people with food? I have, I've given you plenty of food to eat. The problem is that some of you have it and then some don't. It's not that there isn't enough food. It's that it's concentrated in certain places and not in other places. And it's primarily concentrated in places that have money, You can see that on a micro scale in our own city. Where we're sitting right now, there's plenty of food nearby. And I don't just mean all the restaurants that are up and down Cary Street. I mean, if you go to the other end of Cary Street, like not even a mile away from here... There are four grocery stores down there of food. They're practic- they've practically opened up in each other's parking lots. They're so close together. It's just like food. Like you could just kind of do the- this-, this dance of go all the way through the different food. And you've got like, you know, run-of-the-mill like Kroger and Publix, right? Publix is opening up there because we need more food there. So... There's Kroger and there's Publix, kind of your standard food, right? And then you can go over to Elwood Thompson's, right? If you want to go over there, you can get all of your food made from hemp or made from like llama, llamas or something, like free range llamas for all of your food. And if that's what you want, it's there. There's great options, all sorts of ethically sort, like all that's, all that is there. It's great. And then that wasn't enough. There's a fresh market right there. Have you ever been in that fresh market? It's unbelievable, they play classical music. Like you walk through there. It's the only place I've walked out of, much poorer, but I felt like a little smarter when I walked out of there. I was like, I have been educated in here. It, it's, it's incredible what the, like the temple to food that that place is. You, you go, they have like trellises by the cash registers. I don't know. As standing there, I'm like, should I buy my bread or should I officiate a wedding right here? I'm really not sure what's going on. And it's just it's a weird thing. And so you've got all of this food not even a mile from here. Now, that's weird in the history of history, right? If I just want, I don't have to go kill an animal. I don't have to go pick the plant or whatever. I can just go to these large buildings, and they have all of it right there. But if you go to Church Hill, not so much food over there. There's one grocery store at the base of Church Hill, right? And it's the one that people over there like to make fun of for whatever reason. I don't know. but like it. So, so there's not nearly as much food in that part of town as there, are, as there is here. And, and why is that? Because of money, grocery stores run on very slim profit margins and it 's difficult to run a grocery store in an area where the income level is low and so what you have over near that area is what is uh, what is called a a food desert in, in Richmond uh, A food desert is an area is defined as a mile area where there is no there 's no access to a grocery store or there, and there 's no cars to get it so if you want food, you may have to like Walk to a convenience store and just kind of buy what whatever's there. And so there are these food deserts all around the country. And in fact, Richmond is 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 known for them. Richmond in 2012, Richmond was identified as the largest food desert for a city its size in the United States, according to the Community Development Financial Institution Fund. I want to show you the the, the picture. Um, this map. Uh, the purple is food deserts in, in, this, in Richmond. We're out there in, in the sort of the near west end or like kind of going out, out towards the west just north of the river where there's plenty of food. But in certain pockets, there are food deserts around, around the city. And um, this, is, this is a challenge because the lack of access to food can cause a lot of problems. Um, and it's weird that Richmond's like this because nationally, what is Richmond known for? Uh, NASCAR, and then um, food, like it's a foodie town in the south, uh, and then things like a great outdoor town and stuff like that. But even in a town that's called like a foodie town, you have these large, just basic food deserts, That exists here in our city. It's not that there isn't enough food for everyone to eat. It's that it's concentrated in particular places. And the lack of access to food, particularly in children, causes all sorts of other problems. I read one study that said malnourished kids are five times as likely to score low on what they call openness to experience. So openness to new experiences, which is a key driver in, like, educational acquisition of knowledge and learning. So basically, if you run that out, uh, if you have poor nutrition, you are less likely to be open to new experiences, which means you're less likely to acquire education, which affects a whole lot of things down the road in your future, in your life, right, in poverty and all of those sorts of things. So there's a lot of challenges that are associated with poor nutrition and, and food deserts in the city. And so it's, a, it, it's actually a, a problem in our society. Now, food deserts uh, are not something you, you probably think a lot about, um, especially if you have a grocery store nearby or you have a car to go get one and uh, go to one. And so uh, you probably don't give a lot of thought to, oh, you know, there's, there's places in town where you can't get a... Uh, Where you don't have good access to food. But it really is a problem. And it's a problem that I want us to talk about a bit this morning. Not to overwhelm you, not to like, oh man, especially Thanksgiving weekend, this is good of me to do this, isn't it? Uh, Not to be like, man, you know, on a weekend of feasting, you're talking about like food deserts and stuff like that. I I was more interested in food desserts, um, which is different. but but I think it's, it's something that we need to think about and, and address and kind of look at what's going on uh, in the world. And, and, and it's actually an ancient problem, and, it, and it's one that's addressed in the Scriptures. Jesus talked about our relationship to um, the poor, uh, our relationship to food, our relationship to uh, seeing a need in our fellow man, in fellow mankind. He talks about this. And he traveled with a guy named Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector in the Roman Empire in the first century. And Matthew took the time to write down what Jesus said. And I want to read to you from Matthew 25. If you don't have a Bible, you can get one from the welcome table when you leave today. It's always good to just have one so you can read it through an easy-to-read translation. Um, but we will also put it up on the screen for you. Matthew 25, this is a, a very famous teaching from Jesus. And uh, it, has a, it has a food tie in here. So Matthew 25, we'll start with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's talking about himself, when Jesus returns, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world." So I've, I've read this before, and I've taught this text before from this stage, but it's always, it, it always catches me by surprise. It's always a little bit unexpected. He's, he, Jesus is painting the scene of, of the end of times, and, and God is sort of gathering all the people together, and he's separating people out. Um, based on something in their behavior, based on something that they're doing. And the way he separates, he says, All right, I'm going to have the sheep here, the, the goats here. Um, he, he points to something that is really difficult and, and, and challenging. He, he doesn't say, um, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for the world. He doesn't go on to say, You're blessed because you pray a lot, you go to church a lot, you gave a lot, you're just really good and nice and I just really want good and nice people on the good team with me. He doesn't say that. Those are all good things, but that's not what he says. What's challenging about this text is what he says next. Look at what he says, verse 34 again. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, and here the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Listen to this. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? They're sitting there saying like, I don't remember meeting you, Jesus, in this life. When did, you, when did this happen? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it, to one of the least of these my brothers you it to me. I don't know how you can't be, I don't know how you can be a follower of Jesus and not be challenged by this. Jesus makes this direct connection between your faith and, and how you actually live, your beliefs and your actions and the alignment there. And I hear this and I go, oh man, he's He's talking to me like I'm going to be gathered there one day in front of God. But even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't know how you can just be a human and not be challenged by it. I don't know how you can not be a, a, a lover of humanity, a, a someone who wants to do good to his fellow man. I don't know how you can believe those things and not be challenged by what he says there because he takes some pretty common things in society that maybe are on the margins and he pulls, pushes them front and center and makes them important and, and, and says, you've got to look at this. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink I was a stranger, you welcomed me I was naked, you gave me clothes I was in prison, you came to visit me He's taking the margins and bringing them front and center And saying, look, are there hungry people around you? Feed them, are there thirsty people? Give them a drink Are there people coming to you as a stranger? Welcome them And how current is that in our culture, right? Are there people in prison? Don't just forget about them Because they're locked behind a bar Where you should never go But visit them there's a, a, a lot of implications of what he just said. But at minimum, uh, uh, maybe a minimum application is this. I can't just stick my head in the ground about food deserts in my own town. I can't. I have to acknowledge I can't just say I'm good because I've got plenty to eat and that's enough. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook that easily. He's putting it in front of us and saying you have to notice this and you have to care. Why? Why do I figure? Why can't I just ignore that? Why can't I go do other nice things? Well, because the heart of Jesus' teaching that we talk about, it's, it's written on banners on the back of, uh, on the, in the back of this room, the heart of Jesus' teaching is this love beyond reason, going the extra mile. Loving God when you don't feel like it, loving people when they're annoying, loving a, a place when it's difficult. Love God, love people. That is the heart of, of Christ's teaching, and how we love God is shown in how we love our neighbor. The love of Christ in us should compel us to love and to reach out in love. There's a vertical aspect of our love of God and a horizontal aspect of loving people, and those things work together. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, if you don't clothe naked people, you will go to hell. If he's saying that, we're probably all in trouble. What he's saying is uh, your faith, because you're saved by faith. You're saved by God's grace through faith. Your relationship with God, you getting to heaven one day, is a relationship, a loving relationship with you and God by having faith in him and his grace that he has died for your sins, all of that. But the way you show that, one, one of the ways that that faith actually has some legs to it, some action, is that you will do something with it. It's not intellectual assent. It's not just, I believe this and we're good. It's, I believe this and I'm going to do something with what I believe, I'm actually going to take action. Um, our, our faith has to be tied to action. So if food scarcity and food deserts is actually a problem, a, a modern problem and an ancient one, uh, what can be done about it? And this is where I think the ancient solution to food scarcity, I think it's brilliant, I think it's repeatable in our culture. I'm going to give you something here that you can actually do. Okay, Because there's a lot of problems I could talk to you about right now that would be overwhelming. We could talk about climate change and you'll be like, I guess I should go home and turn the lights off more often or like, I don't, I, like what is the local actionable step that would actually make a difference, right? But when you talk about this issue about, hey, some people have a lot of food, some people don't and, and let's, let's look at our neighbors and let's open our eyes and see what's out there. What does love compel us to do? there's a very actionable thing that you can do starting this week that will make a difference. And it's an ancient solution, and it's called fasting. And fasting is skipping meals, right? But uh, this will only work if your fasting is intentional, secret, and strategic. First of all, let me explain fasting to you. Religions of the world have taught this for millennia, that fasting usually with food, but sometimes with other things as well, like a media fast or things like that, but fasting is giving up something for something else, giving up, making a sacrifice, giving up, in usually food, uh, not eating food so that something else can happen. Oftentimes, so you see this in Islam with Ramadan where they fast from sun up to sundown and then just eat in, in the evenings, right? Uh, you, you see this in Judaism, you see this in Christianity, you see this all over the world that people will fast, they will deny themselves some food in order to do something else. A lot of times we fast to uh, pray more, to have you know the time you would have spent, the time you would have spent cooking or eating, you say, you know what, I, I'm, I get so busy, I don't pray enough, I don't read enough or whatever, I'm gonna use this time and just go get quiet instead of eating today. My lunch hour, I'm gonna go pray or something like that. So a lot of times people will practice spiritual disciplines while uh, fasting from, from food and stepping away from it. And I, and I think that's a great idea um, and I think it's a, a, a very helpful thing that helps us refocus on the things that we claim are most important to us. A lot of us will say, you know, God, family, friends, work, some, some sort of priority order like that. And if, we, if God is first, um, fasting is a way to just keep the focus there and say, okay, let me just deny myself something really basic here like food. And when I feel hungry, let me use that hunger to remind me to pray or as a as sort of a cue to, to think differently or, or to... to, to Manage my body a little differently and aim it towards God. It's, it's, a, it's a great thing. So, what I want to suggest to you is to fast uh, between now and Christmas. Okay? Not every day. Okay? I'm not saying like, I'm not, I'm not saying we're not going to eat till Christmas Eve. I'm saying pick a day, pick a meal, pick something, uh, and, 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 and cut out a meal um, each week or a day or two days or whatever, however length of time, whatever you want to do, just be. Number one, fast intentionally. Fast intentionally. Decide when you're going to do it. You can walk out of here today and say fasting is an interesting idea. Oh yeah, okay, that that'll be good, and we'll we'll get to more of the why here in a second, but. But you may walk out here going, oh, I think I want to do that. But if it just rolls around in your head as an idea of something interesting you heard one time in the bird theater, and you don't actually put it on the calendar, if you're like me, it probably won't happen. It gets real when it gets on the calendar. It gets real when you write it down. It gets real when it becomes a goal. I'm going to do this fast intentionally. Pick a day. I don't care how long it is. Say every Wednesday at lunch, I'm not going to eat. Every Thursday the whole day, I'm not going to eat till dinnertime. Whatever you want to do, whatever works for you, uh, fast intentionally. And if you do so, you will be hungry. And that's okay. Like, you you can be hungry, and and, and it can be an okay thing. You go, okay, this is what what hunger feels like in America. Um, And so fast intentionally. And let me challenge you this. If you're in a small group right now at Area 10, there's groups that gather throughout the week. This would be a great thing for you guys to do as a group. To come together this week as you, as you discuss the sermon and you, you kind of get into this concept, talk about your own stories with fasting, when you've tried it, how it's worked. Uh, you'll hear the, the war stories around that or whatever. But maybe get together and say, hey, guys, uh, let me make it real in public here. Next Wednesday, I'm going to not eat lunch and ask me how it went next week. And, and, and decide how you want to do it as a group and maybe take, take the challenge together to fast. So fast intentionally. Uh, And you will feel hungry, but I think you'll also learn some really good things about yourself in the process. Number two, fast secretly. Um, You know, I I know I just said there's a a piece of public accountability, but I I also think... Jesus, when he teaches us to fast secretly, is basically saying, hey, this isn't like a bragging thing, and don't make a huge scene out of your fasting. In fact, fact, uh, listen to how Jesus talks about it in Matthew 6 in his famous Sermon on the Mount. He says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, that's tricky, but like so much of Jesus' teaching, what he's saying is, look, when you fast, and he assumes that you will, he doesn't say if you fast, he says when you do this, here's what you need to do, you need to get your heart right. Like so many things Jesus teaches, it's not external behavior modification. is not what we're going for. He's going after the heart. He's going after the motives. Motives matter. Doing the right thing for the right reasons. This, this stuff matters. And so he's getting right at that and saying, look, if all you're doing is fasting so other people will see you, cool. Then other people will see you and think you're awesome. That's, that's your reward for doing it. But if you're doing it to truly get close to God, then don't make a scene out of it. Now, we don't have to be weird about that. Like I said, you could tell your small group, hey, I'm going to pick this day or whatever. We don't have to be so weird about it like, I'm not supposed to tell anybody that I'm, ever eating, that I'm eating or whatever. I, I met with a buddy the other day, and he was fasting all week, Monday through Friday, not eating at all. We were meeting for lunch, and he warned me ahead of time. Hey, I know we're meeting for lunch, but I'm, I'm fasting this week. That's not bragging. It's not like, "Oh, you're so holy" or whatever. It was just like, "Okay, so we just we just had tea together and didn't and didn't eat," um, and and he walked me through why he was doing it and w- when it was difficult, like when his son got Chick Fil A, he talked about how difficult that was as it would be. Um, but you know, you don't. That's not bragging about it, right? He's still doing something quietly and secret. Um, I, I just think if we're going to fast and take Jesus' word seriously, maybe you know, don't Instagram a picture of your empty plate. I don't know, like, you know, like, look, I ate nothing today, guys. You know, hashtag blessed or whatever. Like, don't, um, don't do that, right? Like, th- there should be a piece of this that you're not going to make a scene out of it, but you just kind of do it, right? But here's where I think it's really interesting. It's, if, it's not just fasting intentionally and secretly. Uh, is number three, fast strategically. Uh, and, and, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, Fast strategically means you skip meals, and the money you would have spent on that meal, you give to someone else who's hungry. And in that way, your personal discipline of fasting actually serves someone who's hungry. Uh, in, in, in the community. You actually see this in the early Christians when you, when you see the first Christians gathering in the book of Acts in the New Testament. Luke writes it down for us. Listen to the way their, their community is described in Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, the, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and get this, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The early Christians, that's one of the first first examples we have of the early church. Here's what they're doing. They're sharing all their stuff. They're making sure that everybody has enough to eat. They're actually caring for one another by sharing their food and and eating together and and like making sure, hey, do you have enough? Good. All right, we'll take care. Oh, I've got some stuff. I'm going to sell a piece of land. Here's the money. We're going to use it to make sure that everyone has enough. They are a family that takes care of each other. And I think it's brilliant. They are living simply so that others may simply live. And it wasn't just in the Bible. You read about it there in, in Acts. It wasn't just in the year 40 AD. This goes on throughout history. Let me give you a couple examples. There's a writing, it's called the Shepherd of Hermas. This is from the year 100 AD. Listen to what they said having fulfilled what is written, in the day on which you fast, you will taste nothing but bread and water. And having reckoned up the price of the dishes of that day, which you intended to have eaten, you will give it to a widow or an orphan or to some person in want, and thus you will exhibit humility of mind, so that he who has received benefit from your humility may fill his own soul and pray for you to the Lord. So here we are, the first century or the second century, around 100 AD, Christians are figuring out how much they didn't eat today and using that money to give to someone who's in need. It's brilliant. This continues on. The Apology of Aristides in 130 A.D., and if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare of food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. This was a tangible, easy solution, an obvious solution. Hey, if someone doesn't have enough food and I don't have excess money, that I can just give them money for the food. Here's what I'll do. I will skip a meal so that they have enough, so that they can have some. We can both have some. It's incredible. And this this continues on in early Christianity. Uh, the the early church father origin in the third century, he says, let the poor man be provided with food from the self-denial of him who fasts. Historian Michel Riquet uh, writes uh, what was going on in Rome. Uh, It has been calculated that at Rome in 250 under Pope Cornelius, 10,000 Christians obliged to fast could provide from 100 days fasting a million rations a year. They, these more or less regular offerings were supplemented by gifts made to the church by rich converts. So wealthy people were giving money to the church so that they could distribute it and, and help people. And even poor people, people from all, all walks of life were saying, hey, I can do with a little bit of less. So that my neighbors can have more. And and they they figured it out in Roman 250. They they could provide a million meals for people a year. When Christians got serious um, uh, about their faith. And when I look at this. And I look at the fact that Christianity grew like wildfire. From the year 30 or 40 A.D. Till about 350 A.D. It did not grow like wildfire. It did not spread to millions and millions of people across the Roman Empire because they had really good music and really great sermons and like social media presence. Uh, It spread because they put their money where their mouth is, right? They were serious. They were like, oh, even the basic necessities of life, food, I'll share that too. In a culture where you don't have refrigeration, think about that. Once you get a fridge, you can start stockpiling. And they didn't do that. They said, I'm gonna make sure that my neighbors have enough. They didn't say, oh, you know, thoughts and prayers. They said, thoughts and prayers, and also I will just not eat so that you can eat. It sounds radical. It sounds radical today, and it was radical back then also. So we have an opportunity today. Advent starts today, and it's one of my favorite times of the year, these next four Sundays of Advent. And we have a, a, a great opportunity. When, when you leave today, we have an Advent packet for you that you can pick up on the way out. There's some over at 810 Kids. There's also some at the welcome table on the way out. I would love one per family to pick them up on your way out. There's a guide in there of scripture reading and prayers for each day between now and Christmas. And there are, uh, there's a couple teaching thoughts about food scarcity in our city around different topics, around education and transportation and that kind of thing. So there's some, there's some, some thoughts there around food scarcity. And then uh, there's some challenges that you can take about fasting or, like, go buy a meal from a convenience store, you know. Some of you are like, that's all I buy, dude. Like, that's my jam, right? Um, but but uh, th- there's challenges there around that and, 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 and ways to practice this every single day. And, so, um, and there's some stuff about social media on there or about, like, hey, don't look at your phone before you've done the scripture reading for the day, stuff like that. Um, We've made up these packets. We're excited about it. I think it's going to be a great opportunity for us to practice what Justin Early spoke about two months ago when he was on the stage, the common rule, this idea that, that as a faith community, we can all live this way together and, and do these things where we abstain from some things in culture and engage some things in culture in order to form ourselves spiritually and in order to help us love God and love our neighbor more. So we've given you this packet. Pick it up on your way out before you leave today. And I want to tell you what we're going to raise money for for Advent this year. Uh, I'm I'm really excited about this this process. Uh, We take a special offering above what our normal giving is once a year at Advent season. And this year, we are partnering with Feed More and Generosity Feeds. And our goal is to raise $40,000 in the next month to provide 40,000 meals, which will be distributed... Through Richmond Public Schools, through a couple of local nonprofits, and through the organization Feed More. So, we're gonna support what they're doing. And what I love about this project is it's very tangible, it addresses a real need. We're not gonna solve food deserts and all that with this, but it does get us educated about it, thinking about it, involved, and it does make a dent. In in the issue, so we're going to we're going to get involved with it as a community, and it's not just something you'll give money to. There's multiple pieces to this. First of all, skip meals between now and Christmas, and use that money towards this offering, so that we can use it to provide food for those who need. And secondly, January 5th and 6th, we're going to get together as a church. We're really on that Saturday, and we're going to package up these meals over the course of several hours. We're going to package up 40,000 meals. As a community that are going to be distributed over the next several months to around community partnerships uh, it 's an incredible thing i think it 's going to be a lot of fun. We have done advent offerings every year we have done work in Haiti uh, with with different projects there we 've done work in vietnam we 've helped uh, an orphanage there we 've helped we 've helped provide clean water to a to a village there we 've done a, um, like a preschool program there We have uh, done projects here in town fighting against human trafficking we 've addressed affordable housing by purchasing a house on the north side. A lot of you were part of that as well. And this project uh, has so much potential. So rather than spend $982 do- per person on Christmas, what if we consumed less and, and in, in fact gave more and use this as an opportunity to love our neighbors? Uh, that is a, a great chance to, 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 to give and to really make this practical. The guide that you pick up today will give you all sorts of ways that you can give. You could skip a meal and text in the money and that kind of thing. There's lots of ways to do it. Um, this is the kind of fast that God calls us to. Not just fasting so we can feel self-righteous. In fact, God calls out that very thing in Isaiah 58. I want to read this to you. It says, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. It's is Old Testament prophet stuff, right? God is speaking to the Israelites. Yet they seek me, daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me of righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And then he says, why have you, why have we, oh, the people say, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? People are fasting in, in ancient Israel and they're sitting there going, God, why aren't you noticing? Hey, hello, we're fasting. We're making a big deal out. We're like putting sackcloth and ashes on our face and we're being, we're fasting. Why aren't you paying attention? Listen to what God says. Next, next verse. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. In such the fast that I, is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? God's, God's punching back, right? And saying, really? A day? You just, one day where you're like, oh, I'm really holy and that's it? Like, is that what I'm calling you to? No. Listen to what he says, verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? This is important. Listen. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Isn't that an echo of what Jesus says in Matthew 25? about what we're what we're called to do and Jesus says look this is the fasting I'm talking about like do good with it do something right with it and there's actually a benefit to you when you do listen listen to these last verses then this is what happens. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire in scorch places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water. Whose waters do not fail? God says, "Look, there's a benefit to this to you too, psychological benefit of giving and rather than receiving, but serving others, it will be good for you." So, on this weekend, when uh, we have been feasting, which is also a, a, a good thing, let's turn our attention to fasting for this season and think about how we can love God and love people even through food. Let's pray. God, help us to be uh, the people who um, don't just talk about faith, don't just um, think about it, don't just have some sort of intellectual assent to some sort of belief system, but help us to be the people who take action and put hands and feet to this thing. Uh, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.